today, and we're going to go through the first 16 verses of Isaiah 65. As you find your way there, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for revealing your plan of redemption for your people. And Father, we stand humbled, thankful, amazed at the work that you have done through your Son to redeem a people who belong to you and live for the praise of your glory. As we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would help me to handle a difficult subject, one in which there are many different opinions of interpretation. Father, I pray that you would help all of us to be good students of your word and help us to be convinced of what is true as we think carefully about your word. So we just ask that your spirit would give us understanding of what you have revealed, and we pray that we would believe it and live our lives in accordance to it. And we thank you for the way that you'll work. In Jesus' name, amen. I would argue that the overall theme or message of Isaiah is to trust the God who saves. It's indeed far too easy for us to trust idols, to trust our own instincts, to trust our gut, uh, whatever that means, to trust our own strength, our own ideas. We, we can be tempted to trust in influential people or leaders or presidents and not trust the God who saves. And it's really remarkable that the creator of this universe, our holy creator, has provided a way for sinful rebel Gentiles to be saved. He, he's provided a way for us to live in a personal relationship with him. God, God has made himself known to us so that we can enjoy him and we can learn from him, be led by him, be protected by him, be filled with hope by him because of him. And all of these blessings and, and, and more are given to us through Jesus, whom Isaiah pointed to as the Lord's perfect servant, the suffering servant, the conquering king. So think, think about this with me this morning. Today... Gentiles can read Isaiah and be encouraged and challenged to trust the God who saves. We, we know that the message of Isaiah was first spoken to Israel and to the tribe of Judah in particular, but now on this side of the cross, the message in Isaiah is very applicable to our lives as believing Gentiles. Why is that? How, how did that come about? And what often becomes the topic of conversation when we discuss this is this. What does this mean for Israel? If the gospel has now gone to the Gentiles, what about the Jews? Is there a future for Israel? And if so, in what way? You, 
you have probably noticed by now my sermon title, Is There a Future for Israel? This wasn't my first choice. I really wanted my sermon title to be, You Can Trust the Promises of God. And that's really what I want you to take away from this sermon more than anything else. But I chose the sermon title that I did because it is my hope that you will see the significance of where we are today in the progressive unfolding story of redemptive history. Now, when I say the progressive unfolding of redemptive history, I'm referring to the fact that God didn't reveal all truth in a moment. God didn't reveal all of his redemptive plan in one single event. Instead, God's redemptive plan has been progressively revealed over time. Uh, the first promise of a Redeemer came in Genesis 3.15. We learn more in Genesis 12 in God's interactions with Abram. We learn even more about God's desire and ability to redeem his people through the Exodus and the giving of the law and the wanderings in the wilderness and the conquering of the promised land. Through King David, we learn that God promised a righteous king who would reign forever. And through the, through the prophets, promises were given of a new and better covenant established by the shed blood of the Messiah. We see all of that in Scripture revealed over time. And certainly, the person in the ministry of Jesus was revealed at just the right time as the one in whom all of the promises would be fulfilled. And then the Holy Spirit came, teaching more fully all of what Jesus had revealed. And then to the Apostle Paul was revealed a mystery that God had kept hidden for generations past. And one of the things that we now know that wasn't revealed before Christ revealed it to Paul, to the Apostle Paul, is this. The church age is not an accident. It's not a parenthesis in history. The church is not God's plan B. It has always been God's plan for the church of Jesus Christ to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. And I want you to see how Isaiah here in Isaiah 65 pointed to that and prepared us for that truth. But what about Israel? Well, here in our sermon text today, the Lord had a message for Israel. And the first thing that we learn is that Israel had every opportunity to know the Lord and yet refused. The Lord says in verse 1, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name, or as the ESV footnote states, I think more clearly, to a nation that did not call on my name. Verse 2 goes on, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. So let me stop there just for a minute. What, what have we learned so far? Well, one, the Lord was ready to be found by those who did not seek him, referring to the nations or the Gentiles. And 
Number two, again and again, the Lord held out his hands to the Jews, but in their rebellion, they would not come to the Lord. Isaiah has already told us that even after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, the hearts of the people were still not willing to turn from their sin. But then the Lord continues as he lists some of Israel's issues. Uh, We see going on the second half of verse 2, who walk in a way that is not good, speaking of Israel, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eats pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, that a, a fire that burns all the day. So the, the people of Israel had no regard for the Lord or for his law. Uh, the, the picture given here of Israel was not good. We, we have seen a description of their rebellion again and again throughout our study in Isaiah. So p- please know that Israel's problem is not the result of God refusing to listen or give them opportunities. God, in fact, gave the Israelites every opportunity to know Him and to worship Him, but they continued to refuse now, here, here's what you must see. As, as you know, Paul was the apostle sent to the Gentiles. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, Paul quotes verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 65. And we're going to develop that a little bit more later. But for now, what I want you to see is that Paul quoted these verses to justify why Jesus sent him to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, we read this. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So if there is any confusion about how to properly interpret Isaiah 65, Paul clears it up right here. The Lord has been found by the Gentiles, and Israel proved to be a disobedient and contrary people. And because of that sad reality, number two, the Lord promised, I will not keep silent, but I will Repay. If you remember, in the end of chapter 64, verse 12, Isaiah asked the Lord in his holy lament, in the light of the fact that the temple and the city of Jerusalem continue to be in shambles because of Israel's sin, Isaiah asked, will, will you remain silent? And now, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 65, the Lord answers, He says, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will 
repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Sadly, there is a long-standing historic evidence of Israel's persistent sin. And here the sin of idolatry is mentioned in particular, and because of that, the Lord promises to pay. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. We'll, we'll pick up the, the theme of judgment. Isaiah's, where the Lord's not done with that, but before judgment is developed more fully, we see in verses 8, 9, and 10 that the Lord also promised to preserve a remnant. So it's not all bad news. Uh, there is some good news too, news of what the Lord would do. Verse 8, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks in the valley of Akur, a place for herds to lie down, for my people will have sought me. So this would be God's work. Despite the rebellion of his people, the Lord would not destroy them all. From the offspring of Jacob and Judah in particular, a remnant would be preserved. So we know that it was from Judah the Messiah would come. So th this would be the Lord's work. It's a picture of grace, his mercy, and most of all, a reaffirmation of the fact that he is most passionate about his own glory for the sake of his own name. God would be faithful to his promises. But again, in verses 11 and 12, the Lord promised judgment for those who forsake him. Listen as I read. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Again, we have here a very sobering reality for those who would not listen to the Lord. It would be judgment. In, in verses 13 through 16, the Lord also promised rich blessings for his servants, but he reveals these promised blessings by showing how there would be a great contrast between his servants and those who are not his servants. Verse 13 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. 
And then notice verse 15. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse. So the, the name of the Israelites, the Israelites who were guilty of idolatry and going their own way and not listening to the Lord, their, their name would be taken as a curse. They will not be remembered well. Though he loved them dearly, we're told by the Apostle Paul that he refers to the Israelites, the Jews, as enemies of the gospel. He says that in Romans eleven twenty eight. He loved them dearly, but he said the way that in which we need to think about them is that they are enemies of the gospel. And so we're told in the latter half of verse 15 of Isaiah 65, and the Lord will put you to death. And the Lord will put you to death. A tragic ending to a people who refused the many opportunities given to them by the Lord. But, but then notice in contrast, notice what is said of the Lord's servants. But His servants He will call by another name so that He who blesses Himself in the land shall bless Himself by the God of truth. And He who takes an oath in the land, shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. So here that the servants of the Lord will be given a new name and will be blessed. They'll be the blessed ones in the land. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. They, they will know and be blessed by the God of truth. So this message that the Lord had for Israel is really very sobering. They were given every opportunity to know the Lord, but they refused. The Lord would bring just judgment on Israel. The Lord would also preserve a remnant from Judah. But a key truth of coming out of this text, as the Apostle Paul helps us to see in Romans chapter 10, is that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. And so, in light of that, the Lord has a message for you today. What, what does all of this mean for you today? And what does this mean for the Jews is there a future for Israel? And if so, how? Well, there are a number of important things that, that must be said. Uh, number one, we, we learn here that you can trust God to be faithful to His promises because He has, in fact, taken the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, no one should be surprised by this. Even in the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord promised that he would bless Abram, make him into a great nation, give him a land, again, which we'll talk about next week, and through him and the nation that would come from him, Israel, all the peoples or nations of the earth would be blessed. But you also know, you remember that Abraham and Sarah were barren. And it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old that God gave him a son. But 
that promise of an offspring given to Abraham, we're told in Galatians chapter 3, was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Listen as I read. Galatians 3, verse 13 through 16. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, the promise, verse 16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. And so, if you are in Christ, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you share the promises given to Abraham. It's amazing. Look with me in the end of chapter 3 there in Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 23 through 29, teach us this. Now, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, so if you are in Christ by faith, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see that? Christ was the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham, the offspring promise. But then if you are in Christ, you share in that rich inheritance that's promised. It's really, it's really quite amazing how the promise made to Abraham found fulfillment in Christ. And if you are in Christ, even as a Gentile, you too share in God's rich blessings. God was faithful to his promise to Abraham. Again, part of God's promise was to be a blessing to all people groups, not just to the Israelites. Let it also be noted that throughout our study in Isaiah, there have been many, many texts that have revealed how the Messiah would not just for the Jew, but for the nations or for the Gentiles. There's too many to even mention this morning. But again and again and again, throughout our study in Isaiah, we see this mention of this perfect servant coming for the nations, not just Israel. Uh, added to that, we know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was sent as an apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul loved Israel. On his missionary journeys, when Paul entered a new city, the first place he would preach the gospel 
was in the Jewish synagogue. And when they rejected him and the gospel, he would go to the Gentiles. So Paul himself was a Jew, and he loved the Jewish people. Uh, Listen to how he spoke of them in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. I encourage you to turn there, follow along. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Listen to how Paul spoke of his his brothers, his Jewish, his, his Jewish brothers. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying, Paul says. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So did you hear that? Not not every Jew will be saved. But that doesn't mean that the Word of God has failed. Why is that? It's because not all who have descended from Israel belong to Israel. Instead, it's the children of promise that are counted as offspring. God is faithful to save those that He has chosen. You you can trust Him. God doesn't have to save every ethnic Jew in order to be faithful to his promises. But then Romans chapter 10 verses 11 through 21 gives even greater clarity to who will be saved and how. Listen as I read chapter 10 verses 11 through 21. For the scripture says, the apostle Paul here says, for the scripture says Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That is, believes in in Christ. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. 
But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then in verse 20 and 21, Paul quotes our verses from Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So the the bottom line is this. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew or Gentile. And This is true because God has been faithful to take the gospel to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews, just as he promised. But secondly, you can also trust God to be faithful to all of his promises because he has saved, he's preserved a remnant of believing Jews. Uh, Romans, the, the book of Romans teaches us that we're justified by faith, not works. This this is an important message in Romans. But the works of the law, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Romans 3.20 says that. Those who are not under the law, like the Jews, can be saved through faith in Jesus. Paul declared that message loud and clear to the Gentiles. But when he did that, this brought up a serious question, and it's a question that Paul addresses to the Romans. Here it is. Did did God then reject the Jews? That's what people, I think, were accusing Paul of promoting. And so when we come to Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, Paul answers that question. Verse 1 of chapter 11 in Romans Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and they've demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Then Paul goes on in verse 5, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. End of quote, verse 6. In other words, not every Jew will be saved, but God has promised to save a remnant from among the Jews, and God has been and will be faithful to that promise. And in that sense, Paul makes it clear that God has not rejected his people whom he has foreknown or chosen before time began. God will be faithful to his promises. There is a third reason you can trust God to be faithful to his promises. Here it is. 
it was always God's plan for the church to be made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. This is where it is really important for you to remember that God has not revealed all of his redemptive plans in one moment of time. The Bible, from start to finish, includes the progressive unfolding of God's redemptive plan. God made a covenant with Abraham. In that covenant, God promised to bless all of the peoples or nations, Jews and Gentiles, through Abraham's offspring. Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. And now, if you are in Christ, you share the blessings promised to him as an heir. Well, then we come to Ephesians chapter 2, and I invite you to turn to Ephesians 2 and 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 is important. I'm not going to read all of it this morning for the sake of time, but I want to just kind of rehearse what that passage teaches. In this passage, we're taught that Jesus has brought peace to believing Jew and believing Gentile. The, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile has been torn down by Christ. In Jesus, believing Jew and believing Gentile are one. For, I mean, we know for centuries, Jews and Gentiles were separated. But now... In Christ, they are one new man. Today, the people of God are those who are in Christ. There, there is one new man, not two. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. Today and forevermore, there will be one new people of God made up of believing Jew and believing Gentile. This is a church. Together, we are being built together into a holy temple in the Lord, to be a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. This is the message of Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Then we come to chapter 3 of Ephesians. Listen as I read verses 1 through 12. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given for me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And now listen to verses 9, 10, and 11 in particular. And to bring the light for everyone, and to bring the light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It's an amazing text. And so from this point forward in redemptive history, now and for all eternity, the church of Jesus Christ will be the people of God. Not, not just the Jews. But remember, the church is made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. There's no distinction. They are one new man in Christ. God, God is faithful to his promises. Now, there's one final truth I want to encourage you to affirm this morning. This final point answers more directly the question, is there a future for Israel? And here it is. In these last days, God is able to graft believing Jew into Christ if they repent and believe the gospel, just like believing Gentiles. Now, in Romans 11, Paul talks about the branches who were cut off from the vine or from the olive tree because of unbelief. He, he says this about the Jews. He also states that other branches can be grafted into the olive tree, and this he says about believing Gentiles. And with that in mind, listen as I read Romans chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Romans 11, 23 through 26. And even they, the Jews, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you, referring to believing Gentiles, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the Jews, the natural branches, branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Then, then Paul says to the Gentiles, verse 25, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Now, I think it's a partial hardening because already some Jews have believed the gospel, including Paul. He, he says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And look at verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It says, in this way all Israel will be saved. Now, this is the much-debated question. But I think the answer that fits this verse best in the context of chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans is this. All Israel will be saved by both elect Jew and elect Gentile believing the gospel. Some Jews have already believed when all the elect Gentiles are saved, then in this way, 
all Israel or all of God's people will be saved. Remember, earlier Paul said, all Israel is not Israel. So he uses that term in different ways. He goes on, he says, As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So Jews can still be saved if they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So it is clear that the gospel is being preached to the Gentiles. That really is something that we should be amazed at. Uh, to God be the glory for that. We should be thankful for that. It's also clear that the gospel is still being preached to the Jews. And it's possible and likely that in the last days, more and more Jews will believe. I say that for a couple of different reasons. One being that verse 12 mentions the full inclusion of the Jews will yet happen. And Paul has already made it clear that this will not be all who are descended from Abraham in the flesh, but it will be the children of promise or those he elects. And when this happens, God is able to graft believing Jews into Christ, just like believing Gentiles. So together in Christ, the church will manifest the wisdom of God for all to see. Again, be amazed by that truth. To, to God be the glory. In, in fact, I think it's fitting that the very end of Romans 11 ends in a doxology. Um, these texts that we've gone through today are not easy to understand and they're not easy to teach. I'm still learning. Some of you may disagree with my interpretation of these texts, and that's okay. Let's keep working hard to rightly handle God's Word. Let's be convinced by the text, not a system. But let's be sure to not miss the way chapter 11 ends. What, what we've talked about today is not meant to be an academic exercise. All of these truths are given to make you believe the gospel. God is faithful to His promises. God can be trusted. We will spend eternity learning more and more about the infinite wisdom of God in working out all of these things. All of His ways are beyond our full comprehension. And that's why Paul ends Romans 11 by saying this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? 
Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're here today in Merton, Wisconsin, having the hope of eternal life because in your grand wisdom and mercy and grace, you have taken the gospel to the Gentiles. So, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for your wisdom, for your kindness to us. We're thankful for your faithfulness to do what you've promised even to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ as a source of blessing for all who believe. So, Father, I do pray, even as we read this morning from Romans 11, that our feet would be some of those beautiful feet that take the gospel to the world, to Gentiles and Jews. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in people, giving them eyes to see the glories of Christ, to see their own need for a Savior, to see their own utter failure, their own sinfulness before you, the judgment that they deserve because of sin that we deserve. But I pray, Father, that your Spirit would give eyes to see how Christ gave his life as a ransom for all, and that through repentance and faith, we too can experience the forgiveness of sin and have the gift of eternal life. Father, help us to never stop being amazed at the reality that you, you chose to be merciful to, to me, to us. You chose to grant eternal life to, to us. And this morning, Father, we just want to say thank you and we praise you and pray that you would continue that work faithfully in the lives of your people, in your people, until the day that Christ comes again. And we'll thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.